What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. It's the Sooners Illustrated Podcast, episode 46 on this Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. First show in a couple of weeks. First show of 2024. Josh Calloway, James D. Jackson, Tom Green. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. How are we feeling? It's been a couple weeks since we had a show. Obviously, there was Christmas. We were in San Antonio. How, where are we feeling? New Year? New us? How, how are we feeling right now for you guys? New Year, same me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going feeling to be, feeling a little refreshed. Got a couple days to kind of recharge yeah. after that trip and that long, long drive back uh, the day after the game. But we're good. We're good, man. We're happy. We're healthy. We're we're ready to roll. If we're going with the cliches, I'll be the first to put out the dad joke. I mean, I haven't seen you guys all year, so I mean, like, this is refreshing <laughs> to see you guys back <laughs> on camera. There finally, man, it's been crazy. <laughs> Yeah, the last show we did, or podcast, was actually me and Colin on the day after signing day. So the three of us haven't done a full-blown show. Not that we haven't mm-hmm. seen each other. We've seen each other plenty. I was yeah. in San Antonio yeah. and, and things like that. And James and I did our preview and our post-game recap. But as far as an actual full-blown sit-down show, it's been a little while. So we got some things to catch up on. Uh, obviously, the season is over. Uh, we were in San Antonio. We were there for the full week. We were at the game, obviously. We'll wrap that up a little bit and kind of put a bow on the season and look ahead to next year. Transfer portal still doing its thing. Oklahoma's lost somebody. They've added somebody. We'll talk about that. And uh, obviously, big, uh, hoops now kind of take center stage with football over. Big toe play starting. We'll talk about a little <laughs> bit of basketball uh, on the way out as well. But gentlemen, first let's start with the Alamo Bowl. We're not going to do a full game breakdown like we have usually do on the show. It's been almost a week since the game happened, but we will touch on it a little bit uh, as far as. When you guys left that stadium, and obviously we knew going in it was going to be tough. We talked about it in the, the weeks leading up. Um, Jackson Arnold's first start. You had most of your defense there, but the offensive line was kind of some patchwork. Arizona was one of the hottest teams in the country coming in, well-documented. We knew it was going to be tough. Oklahoma loses. They had a lead in the fourth quarter. Things were looking great. It fell apart quickly. When you guys left that stadium you know, last Thursday and, and the days since, what's kind of been your overarching thought or feeling, I guess, and uh, how that game went for Oklahoma last Thursday in San Antonio. I mean, Oklahoma played, like, on paper. You look at Oklahoma, it's talent, what it had. It, sh- it should have been enough to win that game. Obviously, the turnovers, you know, six of them, that's just not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. They're most of the game since, I think, 1997 Bedlam when they had six. Um, they're most in a bowl game since the 2014 Russell Athletic Bowl against Brent Venable's Clemson defense. Uh, when they had five in that one, I mean, you you just need to value the ball, um, take care take care of it. You know, you look at their three losses this season. They had twelve turnovers across those three losses, three yep. in each of the losses to Kansas and Oklahoma State. So, I mean, that's that's obviously the big takeaway. But I mean, I, I was impressed with Jackson Arnold. Mistakes aside, um, you know, he he looked he looked sharp, made some big league throws, um, like that one to Brendan Thompson for the long touchdown. The one rolling out to his left and back across his body to Nick Anderson had a couple others on, uh, you know, third down conversions that were really impressive. So, look, <clears throat> four turnovers from one player is not great. I think Landry Jones was the last uh, Oklahoma player to commit four turnovers in a game. But I, I, I think the kid's going to be all right. Um, they've got the pieces around him to be good. Offensive line obviously needs to be better, and they're working to improve that. Uh, through the portal and, you know, figuring out some things with what it's going to look like after, you know, losing 
pretty much six starters across the offensive line from this season. Um, but I think those are probably my you know two or three biggest takeaways from the game right there. My takeaway when I first came out of it was don't panic. I mean, I think I kind of said that with Josh a little bit as in our mm -hmm. recap afterwards. And after watching the game a little bit back and, and seeing more of it, it's, it's the same sentiment. Just don't don't panic. Don't panic. You you look at that offense and at how it was humming for a lot of that game. Just the it's just the turnovers that that hurt them. So, and there weren't like egregious turnovers. There was there were some throws where Jackson you know tried to force his way in things like that on third down. Uh, you know trying to trying to do too much at certain times. Which can be fixed. I mean, it was just his first start. All that can be fixed. So it's just don't panic right now. I mean, don't look at. I, I saw a lot of uninformed takes on Facebook scrolling through that from other people <laughs> that weren't play. OU fans. Just, just, just ragging on him and ragging on the OU offense. Where he's going to be? If you're an OU fan, don't listen to that nonsense. It, it, as we said, a lot of it was the offensive line. The offensive line is not where it's going to be next season, as you know. Brent Venables in his camp and, and Bill Beatonbo are gonna they're gonna they're gonna fix that offensive line. They got guys coming in as of right now, so just don't panic right now. They're all using a good spot. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I agree. You know that was my main sentiment too. Was that you know coming out of that game, my opinion on next season isn't really changed in, in any great way. I, I thought Jackson Arnold. I agree with you, Tom. It sounds silly because he did turn it over so many times. But overall, I still left impressed and feeling good about the future. He still threw for, you know, over 300 yards in his first career start against a good team. You know, against a top mm -hmm. 15 team, you know, in a, a quiet environment there in San Antonio. It was basically packed out. You know, and Arizona had a lot of fans there. Um, the throws he can make, some guys just simply can't. Um, he did a lot of really good things. The turnovers, he'll get that buttoned up. Not worried about that at all. He's going to be great next year, just like we thought the whole time he would be. Um, defensively, you're bringing everybody back. Um, they did some nice things. Obviously, they gave Arizona the ball in a short field a million times That's with all those Crazy. turnovers. They did the best they could in that situation. Had a couple of long drives, specifically that big, long 95-yarder. That hurts, but that's just part of the defense not being a finished product yet. They're still building that thing up, and you hope that it'll make another jump next year with, obviously, all these key pieces coming back. And then, yeah, to your point, James, the offensive line, it wasn't great, obviously. Lots of penalties. Um <laughs> Lots of penalties, and, and Arnold had some a hard time kind of having time to throw in some cases. Other cases, he held the ball a little too long, which uh, yeah. you know kind of goes the offensive line, but wasn't necessarily their fault. But you're bringing Spencer Brown in from Michigan State. You're bringing Fabechi Nawawu. Hope I said that right from North Texas. Um, you got more you, guys coming up that'll be another broke. year in the system, getting Schmitty stronger for another year. Yeah, you have a hard time thinking that offensive line doesn't have a chance to be a lot better. It's probably the biggest concern right now, and I'm not that concerned. So. Yeah, overall, you know, they lost to a good team that with, with yeah. a, a freshman quarterback, they made a bunch of mistakes. Kind of simple as that. Yeah, and and I, I just want to go back to Jackson Arnold real quick. Like, as you pointed out, I think one thing that, you know, again, I'm not hitting the panic button because it was just his first career start and he's going to learn um, and get better throughout the offseason. But got got to know when to get rid of the ball. I mean, you can't mm -hmm. hold on to the ball for 10 seconds in the pocket because sure. – you know, you're asking a lot of your offensive line to try to hold blocks for that long without committing a penalty. And I think two or three of those holds were on plays where Jackson Arnold was just sitting back in the pocket for seemingly eternity. Um, 
So I, I think he needs to work a little bit on that, you know, that timing, that pocket awareness. But again, it was his first start. He only had, you know, a dozen practices or so to kind of get settled in after all that. So it, it, I don't think it's a concern, but it's obviously something that they're going to point to and have him work on throughout this offseason. And I think he's going to get over that pretty quickly once he gets comfortable, you know, with this offense, once he knows the offensive line he's working with. Because like I said, they have the skilled players around him for this offense to, you know, not really miss a beat. What's crazy is most of his turnovers came like throwing to Drake Stoops. Like for some reason it was it was always when he was he was going after Drake Stoops. It was just a weird uh, they, those two guys didn't have the timing that yeah. that they should have had. And that's that was a big reason. I mean that that hurt him a lot. So uh, and, and the other ones we know with Jalil Farouk fumbling the ball inside the five yard line inside the inside the red zone. You know, all of us not on Jackson Arnold, but you know, it all kind of it all looks the same in the end when you when you look at it. Six turnovers is not something that you can overcome, even with the offensive day that the Sooners had. I mean, mm. you, you talked about it, Josh. He threw for over 300 yards. The, the running backs, Gavin Salchuk, once again, went over 100 yards rushing. He had a touchdown. I mean, it, it's just you can't overcome those mistakes. When you look at the stat sheet, as we most of us thought in this in that third <clears> quarter, <throat> that OU was going to run away with the game. It was going to be a blowout at, at a certain point. We thought it was going to go up 18 uh, before that that long return on the fumble recovery that yeah. it was on a head. So, I mean, it's just a lot of, it's just a lot of little things to fix. When you fix those little things, OU's offense looks just fine. Even with new offensive coordinators, even with, even with the offensive lineup that they had at the time, it, it's, that's no, it's just no reason to panic. It's no reason to panic. <clears throat> Yeah, and and, he, and people point to them maybe not running the ball as much given how effective Gavin Sawshuck was. But as Brent Venables pointed out afterwards, they're running a lot of RPOs. And you know, like I know this is still Jeff Levy's offense that they were running, but Seth Luttrell does run a lot of RPOs too. Um, and some of it is just like Jackson Arnold reading a pass on the play. Um, so they threw the ball 45, 48 times, whatever it was, and not not necessarily running it as much, even though the running game was still effective and the offense was pretty balanced overall. Um, so I'm curious to see what this offense is going to look like, You know, what kind of changes Seth Luttrell is going to implement in the offseason. Um, certainly something to look forward to in the spring. You know, I don't think it's going to be too wildly different just because you know the coaching tree comes from, but I do expect the run game to be a little bit more prominent uh, than maybe it was the last two seasons under Jeff Levy, but um, I, you know can't, can't say enough. Like I think that they're going to be in just fine position with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley and Jackson Arnold. That's kind of a triumvirate running the show there on offense. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and quick segue before we we change topics. The U of A chant sounds way too much like the USA chant. I mean, in, in, instinctively, it's always like, <laughs> all right, I, I got to get in on that. It was like, no, that's not the country. That's that's just that thing. <laughs> It's too. It's way too close. To do it. Yeah, it's way that's too fun. close. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think Arnold. Yeah, he got a little. Uh, probably after the turnovers early, felt like he got a little gun shy, which is why he was holding it for so long. Especially the one to Stoops, where he was wide open, but he saw it kind of late and threw it over there, and it got picked off. It mm -hmm. seemed like after that, he wasn't trusting his eyes as much. That'll just come with time. You know, that'll just come with time. It's his first start. First start. You watch some of these bowl games with guys making their first starts. And it was bad at a lot of places. What Arnold did, again, the nobody's excusing the turnovers. He's got to clean that up, obviously. But the talent is very apparent as well. And the way he handled it afterward, took all the blame. You saw Danny Stutzman say, this changes nothing. This is our guy right here. I, I think he's still got to feel pretty good. I Honestly, more confident in the quarterback position coming out of that game than less. I know for some people that's crazy, but that, that's, that's where I'm at. So how do you kind of surmise the season now? Um, so it's in the books. They go 10-3. and three. 
You know, I think before the season, 10-win season, I mean, that's a four-win improvement. That's a big jump in college football from one year to another. It was obviously better in a lot of ways. The disappointment certainly comes in the fact that they were 7-0. and Everything seemed out in front of them, and then they ended up going 3-3 three and three in their last six games, obviously, but <clears throat> on the bowl game because of opt-outs, things like that. But overall, how do you kind of grade the season for Venables in year two? It was a big improvement. Was it enough of an improvement for you guys? Where do you kind of fall? Was the season a success in 2023? Yeah, I think a season can be both successful and disappointing. <laughs> um, yeah. No, you know, you look at it, you know, they, they went six and seven last year, won four more games this year, you know, obviously made strides on defense. There's still lots of room to grow there. But, you know, you look at the stats, especially some of the efficiency stats, some situational stuff, third down, red zone touchdown defense, things like that. They were vastly improved there from when they were a year ago. Um, offense, top five offense in the country, win four more games. It's a successful season. You beat your biggest rival in, you know, the biggest game of the year in the Red River rivalry uh, and an incredible finish in that one, obviously. But then you have two letdowns. You know, I'm not – really focusing on the bowl game because, like you said, opt-outs, mm. guys transferring out at the end of the season. But you had those two letdowns in one-score games back-to-back on the road that kind of just derails a lot of what they had hoped to achieve this season. Um, but even after that, you know, they were in the mix there for a Big 12 title game appearance up until, you know, basically the end of the last Saturday of the regular season. Yep. Um, so I, I think a season can be both successful and disappointing because you look at what could have been um, – and, and there was clear disappointment from these guys after the Alamo Bowl with just how the season ended. But you could also hear a sense of pride in Brenton Venable's voice um, when he was talking about it. It's like, like this team is clearly making progress from where it was when he took over to where it is as they're going into the SEC. But he said it himself. He felt like they squeezed all they could out of this team. You know, it was far from a perfect team. It was a flawed team. Um, obviously had some deficiencies at some positions. And they just, they you know, they felt like a 10-win season was successful, but also, you know, a little bit of a letdown. I mean, that kind of that kind of points to, you know, how, how the feeling is. But 10 wins in a season is something that not a lot of teams are able to do anyway. And so I know it's become the norm for Oklahoma. So it's I always deem it as successful when you get to 10 wins. I mean, it's 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 crazy that the disappointment came from OU starting 7-0, and which was higher than most people's expectations to start the season. And you're like, okay, now they might be a playoff team if they're playing like this. And they yeah. didn't reach that height. And that's why it's a disappointment and you, you come all the way down. <clears throat> but I think for what OU had, you know, injuries that hit them this season, some key injuries that hit them this season, uh, and, you know, coming off of Brent Venable's first year, I mean, I think they did a lot from, from what they had. I think it, it was very successful in that sense. It's it's a building It's a building situation. You don't just become a playoff team all of a sudden overnight you got to build up to it so you know two or three years from now i mean i think ou is you know no no doubt going to be a playoff team even in the sec and i think that's what they're building to you know each year you get better and better and that's what a successful program does they get better each year and i think they're heading in the right direction six wins to ten wins is a good is a good sign to step forward um you know to step forward you can look at and the comparison has been made. I've made it, and I'm not the only one to make it, to Florida State and to Texas because they seem like they're on that same – Florida State did the same thing. They were yeah. 
pretty mediocre the first year in Norvell. They got better. They got better to where they were this year. Texas, the same thing in the playoff this year. It was a four-win improvement. They were horrible in one-score games last year. Awful. 0-5 um, in one-score games the previous year. This year, they were better. Right? They're 3-2 and two this year. Um, still had some problems. The Kansas game, the Oklahoma State game, at the end, it was it, they made a ton of mistakes to lose those games. But they also won the Texas game. They found a way to win that BYU game. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was better. Is it perfect? No, because they blew a couple of games they probably should have won. But they also won some games that were nip and tuck. Obviously, the Texas game was historic. Uh, you know, so it's a work in progress. It is a success. You've got to build on it. And, you, know, you need to be better next year. And that's the way that this goes. You, you continue to climb. And uh, we'll figure out how it goes. That'll be a hard thing to measure next year. And we'll talk about that in just a second because it is – a whole new world of college football where you're in this super SEC. And if you go 10 and 2 next year, even though it's the same record, that's way better than this year because your schedule is much more daunting. And we'll get into that in just a second. So, yeah, overall, it's a success in my mind. Disappointing, like James said, after you started 7 0 and you got greedy because you thought this is a playoff team at yep. this point and it didn't end up going that way. So, you look ahead to next year, um, 2024, the move is finally going to come. The SEC, we've been talking about it for years. Um, it's been all that's been, it's been just hovering around this program for, for years since they announced it. And now it's actually going to happen next year. Um, stay of the program for you guys moving into 2024. What are your prospects of what this team can do and be next year? Like we said, you're bringing like your whole defense back, or at least a lot of the key pieces. We don't know about Woody Washington yet. He's the only one still hanging out there, but otherwise a lot of your defense is back. You seemingly have the quarterback in Jackson Arnold. You're loaded at the skill positions. Your offensive line, like we just talked about, is probably a question mark right now, but it's you know we'll see how that shakes out. How are we feeling about where Oklahoma is, the direction they're moving into the SEC next year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're moving in the right direction, as you said. It's it's a you know process is a ladder. You know, you got to build up to it. Um, you know, I, like we've discussed before with how the schedule shakes out, I think you kind of need to take a step back and, you know, switch your perspective on what a quote unquote yeah. successful season is. You know, I, I don't think anybody really coming in, you know, unless you're just a, you know, diehard crimson tinted glasses, Oklahoma fan to expect this team to go 10 and two in the regular season with that schedule. But I think, <clears throat> And look, I, I'm not going to go through week by week and make predictions on what the record's going to look right, we right now. But, but but taking a step back, if, if this team can go, you know, nine and three or eight and four, and you know, win a couple of those big games, you know, you're going to be in position to compete for a playoff spot in the 12 team playoff, and that's ultimately what you want. You know, success is going to be measured a little bit differently in this 16 team SEC in this you know new era of a 12 team playoff. But I think, you know, Oklahoma is positioned well to at least compete for one of those playoff spots. Yeah, that, and that's what it is now. I mean, I think it's going to go away from those undefeated teams throughout all of college football, not just the SEC. That's not going to be the case anymore. I mean, even looking at those semifinal games yesterday, which were amazing, by the way, both games, there isn't a team that's just overall dominant like, they're, like they used to be when they're going for a national championship. There's no LSU type of, you know, 2019 LSU teams out there right. or those Bama teams of old. Th these teams make mistakes throughout the entire game. And we, we saw it a lot with OU this season. It was kind of, you know, frustrating from what you're used to seeing. You're used to seeing a team that's, you know, playing that high caliber of football. 
really playing complimentary football throughout the entire game, taking advantage of all the mistakes the team makes. And it's just not the case anymore. I think there's a lot of parity now in college football. The, the talent is spread out more with NIL, the transfer portal, and things like that. Everybody's just in at one school. So I think, as Tom said, the success is going to look different. It's, it's going to be some look, it's going to look a lot different. As long as you get in the 12 team playoff, you give yourself a chance. And that's the whole point of it. It's now, it's just not like you got to get in the top four or you got to get in the top two with the BCS computer, things like that. It's just you, you give yourself a chance now. So three losses in the SEC, the way it's constructed as it is right now, it's going to get you in. I mean, that's a, that's a good record with the SEC and the, the teams that are in there. Um, so it's just going to look different. I think it's just going to take some adjusting for some fans to see. Don't panic after, you know, one or two losses in a season because usually used to be that your season was over yeah. <laughs> if you lost one or two games. Now it's going to look different. So just, just stay in it. Yep. No, 100%. You have, it's hard. For us, too, it's going to be – it's hard. It's not what we're used to, but you have to reset your brain. Yeah. Um, this team can be way better than this year's team and go 9-3 and three next year. But that – Probably is good enough to make the playoff, depending on how things shake out and the way the schedule goes. Um, they have so many big games next year. You look at the way that the bowl season has gone, the way these teams have ended the year. How many top 10 teams are going to be on the schedule next year to start? I mean, you figure Bama, certainly. Texas, <laughs> certainly. Ole Miss, probably. Missouri, maybe. LSU, maybe. It's crazy. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So it's it's going to be it's going to be wild. And uh, it's going to be very daunting and challenging. But that's what they sign up for. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so look forward to that. We have a lot of time to break it down. Obviously, like Tom, so we're not going to pick every game right now in, in January, but uh, it's going to be fun. And I think, like you guys said, it's moving in the right direction. They're recruiting at the right level. You got these defensive line prospects coming in. You continue to build up that group. And that's what you got to do. And uh, Brent Venables has got it moving. Again, you look at what Florida State did. You look what Texas did. Just the same, same trajectory. And uh, we'll see if Oklahoma can take that next step just like they did this year both those teams so we'll see the sooners illustrated podcast we'll be back after this short break when you have sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen all right, transfer portal segment, as we have had often the last uh, several weeks. Talk about the latest there. Um, obviously, it's been a couple weeks since we had a show, so there's more than just these guys, but just in the recent here, a loss and a gain. We'll talk about the loss first. Dave McCullough into the transfer portal uh, for Oklahoma. Obviously, younger brother of Desan. He was just a freshman, played one year at OU. Was a Cincinnati commit. He then flipped to Oklahoma just about a week or so before signing day last year. Didn't play much, uh, obviously, this year. That safety room, incredibly crowded. We've talked about it a lot of times. Billy Bowman coming back certainly doesn't help that. Um, I don't know. You know, you have to talk to today. I don't know the full thought process, but it seems easy to make the assumption that it's just this room is loaded up, and I don't know when I'm going to get my opportunity. What do you guys kind of make of that, and, and what does it do for Oklahoma in terms of, like we said, though, the, the room is loaded. So if there's a, a – a group you could lose a guy, this would probably be the one. Um, but, yeah, Dave McCullough into the portal. Yeah. Um, on the surface, it seems like this is a playing time 
thing, or maybe he wants right. to get closer to home because obviously he was committed to Cincinnati before. You know, his dad coaches at Notre Dame. Uh, he's from that kind of Midwest area there. Um, but look, he only he only played a handful of snaps in the season opener against Arkansas State. Did not see the field the rest of the season. Did not make the travel roster for most of the road games. So it, it's not a total shock. I don't think any any of us necessarily expected him to jump in the portal just because his brother is here at Oklahoma and they've talked about you know. You know, they spent most of their lives playing together. The only time that they didn't play together was when mm-hmm. they was a uh, high school senior and Tassan was at Indiana f- for his freshman year. So they, they've talked a lot about, you know, it being a dream come true for them to play together. But at the end of the day, they need to, you know, do what's best for themselves individually. Um, now, you know, I don't know what Tassan is thinking. You know, we've obviously had people wondering how this affects him. But, you know, you look at Tassan, he was a impactful player Started, I think, seven games. You know, was in that rotation at Cheetah, learning a new position throughout the season. He's clearly a key part of what they're doing in this defense as they build toward you know twenty twenty four in the SEC. But I mean, like you said, they just have a lot of depth in that safety room, especially with Billy Bowman coming back, with Robert Spears Jennings, with Peyton Bowen kind of shifting back to safety after you know dabbling in uh, the Cheetah position early in early in his freshman season. So I, I think it's just a numbers game. They're in the back end, and Dave McCullough probably wants some more playing time and thinks his best shot is probably going to be somewhere else. I mean, that's that's the best assumption. It's just playing time. I mean, it's, it didn't seem like there was any ill will between the coaches and him, especially when we talked to him throughout the season. I mean, it's just like he was just he was just new. He was trying to figure things out and everything like that. It just there was there's no room for him to really play, uh, given who all is coming back for the Sooners this year and who they're bringing in. It's just. You, you kind of can see the writing on the wall, so you, you make a better decision for yourself. I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with it. For sure. And, you know, as of now, there's no reason to think that there would be any effect on Desan here, how Tom's touching on. <clears throat> Eye on it. We'll let our VIP subscribers know if we hear uh, otherwise, but wouldn't just assume that this means they're both gone by any means. I know a lot of people freaked out about that because obviously Desan was a key piece, and you imagine will continue to be uh, a key piece uh, in that room. And, and obviously now with the, you know, NCAA allowing two-time transfers, mm. you know, as long as they transfer by the end of the 23-2024 academic year, they'll be immediately eligible next year. Desan's obviously already transferred once. So if something were to happen, he'd be, he would be eligible elsewhere. But I don't think that there's cause for concern there right now. Um, Definitely. So they lose somebody in the portal. They add someone today, somebody that uh, James and I are pretty familiar with. Jocelyn Malaska comes from mm-hmm. Utah, uh, played there the last couple of years. From Bethany, Oklahoma, originally, though, that's where we saw him play uh, in the past there with the, the Bethany Broncos, which if you're unfamiliar with Oklahoma geography, just a stone's throw from OKC. So very close to Oklahoma. He comes back home, and he comes back home as a PWO, which is kind of surprising mm-hmm. to me. This is a guy who was a three-star prospect out of high school, we had him as the number 80 cornerback in the country mm-hmm. out of high school. He was committed to Texas Tech, flipped to Utah. He's been there the last couple of years, didn't play a lot. Now he comes back home to Oklahoma to help out in that, you know, that secondary and you know, maybe Jalei J. Vali's room, obviously, with the cornerbacks. I mean, guys, this seems like a no-brainer as far as if he's coming as a PWO, <clears throat> you take a flyer on this guy all day. He's a really good high school player. Can't you? I mean, obviously Kyle Whittingham and Utah won him at one point in time. You know what they've done in, on defense last, you know, several years. Obviously, beyond that, this seems like a no-brainer pickup if you're Oklahoma here. Because what do you have to lose? Yeah, and I'll, I'll let James speak to it a little bit more, just because you know he's more familiar mm-hmm. with the kid himself. But you know, Brent Venables and his staff have 
kind of made it their thing, so to speak, to get scholarship level players as preferred walk-ons is just a way to kind of bolster this roster and improve some competitive depth um, throughout it. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I think it's a no-brainer. You know, he's a kid that was obviously worthy of a Pac-12 scholarship, didn't play too much at uh, Utah these last two years, pretty much just on special teams across eight games the last two seasons. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, it seems like a smart move. Again, just bringing a, you know, a guy who's from Oklahoma to, you know, back home. Yeah, I mean, Malaska is, is one of those prospects that we saw a lot of. Josh and I was talking about it. I mean, he's he was a good he was a good athlete. I mean, he did a lot of things for that Bethany football team, man, led up to the playoffs. I mean, he he was he was their best player that year. He was he was the guy for them. And it's crazy because story isn't like a linear one like that you're used to because he's from Haiti. He's actually from Haiti, and he was adopted by the Malaska family, and they brought him over here when he was in elementary school. And he didn't start playing actual like American football until seventh grade. And he only did that because he was like, oh, my friends are on the team. I might as well try it out and see how it goes. And he becomes this great prospect, you know what I mean? Because like soccer is what they grew up on. And him having that opportunity to come play and, and, and do those things, growing to over six feet tall, which has become a stable for the Brent Venables defensive back. Most of them are over six foot tall now. I mean, he's, he's, he's the perfect guy for them, especially as a preferred walk-on, getting his type of talent. Uh, with what, everything that he accomplished in high school, he's from the area. You know, it's it, it's going to be really good for them. Hundred percent, and like we kind of said, very very low risk. You're bringing a guy in as a PWO, so hopefully we'll see how that shakes out. Always cool to have more Oklahoma kids on the team, and suddenly Bethany kind of you know got two guys, Taylor Hines there. Now you got Malaska. You talk about all the guys from Carl Albert that are on the way and on the team currently, and it's kind of. You know, Heritage Hall's got a couple of guys now with Andy Bass. It's kind of uh, some of these schools are competing to see who can get the most guys on the team. Uh, it seems like, and, and yeah, and Malaska's brother Evanston Malaska. He's he's at Bethany right now. He yep. got an offer this summer at Brevin was camp. I wrote about that, so go Point, check that out yeah. as well. I mean, they're going after both brothers at this point. You know, get get them both out there. And his brother Evanston's already five foot ten as a sophomore, so they're expecting him to be at least above six foot by the time he's you know finished growing and filling out his frame. So. I mean, it's gonna. It's a good. It's a good sign for OU. They're getting a lot of in-state guys. Are they're really recruiting well in their backyard? Certainly doesn't hurt your chances to get him if uh, his older brother is there. I'm sure too. So there you go. Yeah. A little, uh, yeah. little double double whammy for Oklahoma. Last thing on the uh, as far as the portal goes, and I'm curious. I'm certainly interested to get uh, Colin Kennedy's input as far as where they kind of stand with this guy later this week on the show. But Tom, you noted on our board uh, for VIP members earlier today that Nick Scourton who, uh, you know, from Purdue, led the Big Ten in sacks last year. And now he's going to come to Oklahoma for a visit later this week, this weekend, actually. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, he played with Deion Burks, led the Big Ten in sacks, edge guy. This would be a huge get if Oklahoma could find a way. So keep an eye on that uh, for some intel uh, coming out of this weekend as he's going to be in town. He's visiting a lot of kind of big programs over the next several days. But, yeah, Tom, I mean – this would be a massive get if Oklahoma could find a way. And so they're in on a, on a big fish that they'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah. I mean, it, <clears throat> we'll, we'll see. Cause he's got four visits planned over kind of the next four days. So it's going to be a very quick yeah. process as it often is for a lot of these transfer portal guys, but Oklahoma is set to get the last visit on Saturday. Um, so that should be interesting, but I mean, <clears throat> look, he, he is a very good player. Obviously it probably helps that Oklahoma's already got a commitment from one of his teammates at, Purdue and Deion Burks. Obviously, they play a different side of the ball, but two guys that are very familiar with each other. Um, 
but just looking at his numbers, man, 10 sacks, you know, led the Big Ten, was top 10 nationally, had 42 total pressures according to Pro Football Focus. His pass rush grade for the season, 90.9, which was sixth best in the nation among all edge rushers. So he's a guy who is very effective and has done it at a high level at one of the two best conferences in the country. Clearly going to be a high priority for a lot of programs, certainly the four that he's visiting this week. So we'll see what happens with Oklahoma. I'm sure, like you said, Colin will have some more information when you guys uh, podcast about that later in the week to preview the weekend. But, yeah, it, if, they, if they could land him, it would be huge. Um, you know, they need to keep fortifying that defensive front. Uh, you know, bringing back, bringing back a lot of guys on the edge. Obviously, you got you know big returns from you know Jacob Lacey and Dejon Terry in the middle and the 2024 class they're bringing in. But like we've said before, it's a line of scrimmage league. The SEC, you, you need to be able to control that line of scrimmage. You need to be able to affect the passer. You know, rush the passer, gets the quarterback, and this is what you know Nick Scouting does. <laughs> All right, shifting over to hoops now without James. We lost him. Uh, internet internet troubles there. We, we lost our guy, but uh, thankfully he was there for most of the show. Tom, I'll finish you up here with a little bit of basketball uh, on the way out. Um, obviously, like I kind of set up the top, Tom, football's in the rear view now. Obviously, football never stops. We're never going to stop talking about football on this program, and it's always at the center stage in Oklahoma. But when the games stop, basketball, it kind of rises up the priority list for everybody. And that's where we're at moving into this week. Big 12 play opens this weekend for Oklahoma. They host Iowa State on Saturday night. We're going to be there at the Lloyd Noble Center. Obviously, non-conference play went great. They're 12-1 and as they stand right now, number 11 in the AP poll. They lost that game North Carolina a couple weeks ago in Charlotte. Other than that, it's been obviously passing every test with flying colors. They kind of sleptwalked through these last couple of games, Central Arkansas and then Monmouth. But they got through it. They played well enough in the second half to pull away in both games and, and get wins. And I hear you go into Big 12 play, the meat grinder that is the Big 12. There are so few games on there that you would say are, are gimmies, if you want to call them that. The Big 12 is an unbelievably deep conference, and it got deeper with the teams that they added, Houston, BYU, and obviously UCF, Cincinnati as well. Where are you kind of at, Tom, on this team moving into Big 12 play? Obviously 12-1, and one, you can't really complain at all about that, and we'll see what they do. Uh, now into the uh, the conference action. Yeah, I mean, this team has already exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Yeah. I think if you, if you told even the most casual, you know, hoops follower that Oklahoma was going to be 12-1 and one heading into Big 12 play, they probably would not have believed you, but they absolutely would have taken it. Um, <clears throat> you know, that, that one loss to North Carolina is obviously, you know, tough to swallow, but it's practically a road game in a neutral site environment. Um you know, they, they kind of struggled in the first half of, you know, each of their last two games against Central Arkansas and Monmouth, like you said, but put together some big second half runs to pull away. And, you know, they've been getting it from just different guys. You know, we've talked a lot about JV on McCollum mm-hmm. and Otega Owe, but I mean, Jalen Moore on, uh, on, on Sunday was just absurd. I mean, he had 21 points, 15 in the second half. Um, I think he had seven rebounds to go with that too, something like that. But I mean, he, <clears throat> these pieces are all fitting together really well. I think there's still areas that this team needs to improve. You know, they haven't been the best three-point shooting team through the non-conference slate, but, you know, Jalen Moore was, you know, knocking them down pretty well uh, the other day against Monmouth. And like you said, it, it's a meat grinder of a schedule, but they're, you know, they've positioned themselves very well to, you know, they just need to be, you know, solid in Big 12 play to position themselves for a tournament berth. 
Um, you know, and, and that and that's what you want from this team in year three under Porter Moser. You know, you've seen them make a lot of strides. You know, I think they're 28th or 29th right now in net rankings, which obviously the NCAA selection committee takes heavily into consideration when you know doing tournament seating. So they're in position there. They they're 0 and 1 in their one as of right now quad one game, which was against UNC. But they're yeah. 4 and 0 in quad two opportunities. So they're building a solid resume at this point of the season, and they're only going to have more opportunities to build on that in, in Big 12 play because, like you mentioned, they've got Kansas, they've got Baylor, they've got Houston, they've got BYU, they've got all of these teams that are really good, and you know. <clears throat> Four of them ranked in the top 15 right now, including two in the top five. It's going to be a big test. We're going to learn a lot more about this team in the coming weeks, but they should feel really good about themselves heading into Big 12 play. They won their they won 15 games last year. They're 12-1 right now. They got their 12th win of the year last year was that Alabama game, which was an out-of-body experience. That was on January 28th. They got their 12th win this year on New Year's Eve. And, yeah, the Big 12, everybody, you know, I'm not breaking any news by any means. It's an insane league. Let me just read you real quick the January slate in the Big 12 for Oklahoma. Because it's in this, it's like this in February, too. But just in January, they start with Iowa State. They're 11-2. and two. TCU, also 11-2. and two. Kansas, number two in the country. They're 12-1. and one. They do play West Virginia, who stinks. They're 5-8. and eight. Cincinnati's 11-2. Texas, 11-2. Texas, Texas, 11-2. Then Kansas State's 9-3. That's January in the Big 12. Um, it, you got to take advantage of every game you can get. And Iowa State, who's not a bad team by any means, like I just said, they're 11 and 2. That's probably one you got to get at home. Um, you got to find a way to get close to 500 or so. And if you do that, Oklahoma will certainly be a tournament team. It's going to be a lot of fun because that's been the only question is obviously they, they've done so many things to impress and they've been so fun to watch. And we all think they're way, way better than they've been, and they are. But the only question really still hanging out there is how they handle the grind of the Big 12 schedule, playing good teams every few days for two and a half months. Because that's what the Big 12 schedule is. And not letting it snowball or get away from you if you drop one or two of these in a row. Because that will probably happen, obviously. You'll probably lose two or three in a row at some point. But getting the wheels back on is going to be kind of the question if they can do that and uh the only way to find out is when it happens so we'll see how mentally strong this group is but yeah the depth is great Jalen Moore has been so good we talked about JV McCollum Milo Suzan and Otega Owe both have developed in year two especially Otega he's a different guy than he was last year mm -hmm. you love what Godwin and Hughley are doing there's a lot of reasons to be excited and it's gonna be fun to see how they handle the big 12 play and it's such a sight for me and you too as, as much fun as it is to cover them playing Monmouth and you know, Arkansas Pine Bluff, it, it's exciting to see him play some good teams on a regular basis. And that's that's going to happen, obviously, in the Big 12 starting this weekend. Look forward to it. Should be fun. So, obviously, we'll be all over hoops. James got the women's team uh, as well. They won their opener in the Big 12 play. Um, so, be sure to be up, uh, keep up with us for hoops coverage throughout the season. Obviously, like we said, football's not going anywhere. But we will be all over hoops as well uh, through here, the back half of the season in Big 12 play. Starting again this weekend at the LNC, we'll be there, Oklahoma, Iowa State, on Saturday night. Looking forward to it. All right, I think that's it uh, for now. We'll be back later this week. Get Colin Kennedy in here to talk about all the latest on the recruiting side of things. We were just in San Antonio. I believe he's going to be getting down in San Antonio for their uh, high school football showcase, their All-American game down there uh, this weekend. So we'll be sure to talk to him about that and all the latest for Oklahoma in the transfer portal on the recruiting trail and good stuff like that later this week. 
And, of course, next week we'll be right back to it, wrapping up hoops and all the latest for football and things like that uh, as things continue to turn for Oklahoma here on the Sooners Illustrated Podcast. That's it for now. For James D. Jackson earlier, Tom Green, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll see you guys later this week for the next edition of the Sooners Illustrated Podcast.